Welcome to season three of Motivate Me. We invite you to travel the 50 states in 90 days as we interview people about their passion. Why? In order to inspire you to live a life that's more exciting or more meaningful. This is Motivate Me, and I'm Lynette Renda. Today we are speaking with Lori Staples. Hello, Lori. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for having us here in your home in Marietta, South Carolina. Welcome. I'm super excited because I've never been on the west side of the state, and I know you said this is upstate, right? Yes, they call this the upstate, and this little particular part of the upstate is called the dark corner. Why is that? Um, it goes back to prohibition, and uh, all the gangsters used to come here and get their hooch. Um, so this was uh, a place where there wasn't a lot of law and there were a lot of stills. And you can still, at times, find stills, they say, when you go off trips and through the woods. Well, that's really interesting. So what you were saying there's other parts to the state. There's the beach. Yes. I learned this year in, ge in uh, geography okay. <laughs> that we have the lowlands, which is the beach, that are closer to sea level. Then you have the mid-state, which is Columbia. And it kind of goes um, from the, where South Carolina and North Carolina meet out by 95, and then west, and then that, like I said, that's the Midlands, and then where the mountains, the foothills are, where the uh, upstate. Okay, because we just traveled from Nashville to here, and we went through a lot of uh, mountains. Yes, yes. Beautiful. On, on this side of the Eastern Continental Divide, which is about 12 miles north, the weather's much milder, but just on the other side of that Eastern Continental Divide, which is just north of the border between South Carolina and North Carolina, the weather gets much harsher. Yes, we drove through that actually. We drove through, Cassie was driving, we drove through a lot of rain there and it was pretty heavy yes. too. So tell, can you tell everybody what your passion is and kind of why we have stopped in this dark corner of South Carolina? Um, my passion is service. To me, life is about so much more than just me, myself, and I. Um, I got to have a reason to get up in the morning and the reason to get up in the morning is I have a mission somewhere somehow to do something for somebody else. What does that look like for you? How do you serve? Um, well, uh, during the school year, I, I live a life of service by being a speech language pathologist with special needs kids in the public schools. And then uh, at other times, I'm also a volunteer with the fire department and I'm what's called a support person. So support, service, synonyms pretty much. And uh, being 54 years old and having some health issues, one might think, what can I possibly do at the fire department? Well, I don't fight fires, that's for sure. Mm. And I decided that a long time ago that I would not fight fires because I don't understand running into a building that the rats are running out of, but anyway. And what does your husband do again? My husband is a fire chief. Um, <laughs> But I am an emergency medical responder, and I um, do whatever I can to help the firefighters do what they have to do. For example, we had a fire this week. So when we have a house fire, my job is to come out and run rehab 
and check the firefighters' vital signs and such when they come out of the fire and make sure they're healthy enough to go back in. And I've actually been given the authority to say, no, you can't go back in yet. And then I also make sure that they become hydrated, they stay well hydrated. I change out tanks. I, uh, what else do I do? I do a lot of little different things. And then the next day, I go and I clean gear, I clean equipment, I sweep the tarp that we used, I restock uh, the medical bag. I do whatever I can to allow the other responders to do what they have to do. Um, so that's one thing I do. I also serve at church and uh, things like that. How does your husband feel about you supporting him at the firehouse? Because I, I as somebody who's been married almost 29 years, look at that and say, yes, you're serving and not even just are you serving, but you're you're showing support for something that your husband does and this allows maybe you guys more time to be together. Um, yes, it does. And um, I always ask him, are you sure I'm not traipsing on your territory? I don't want to traipse on your territory. And the funny thing is him being the chief, frequently he's not even there when I'm up there. Um, for example, today, I one way I served was I spent the afternoon running errands for the fire department so he could be at work doing what he has to do in order to go on vacation this weekend. Um, and uh, he's quite okay with that. So there was a time I'm out serving by running around town for four hours and he's in the office. Or the other day he was at the fire and I'm st I was cleaning gear back at the station and things like that. So, um, yet there are other times when we do get to respond together and work calls and things like that. But he's command and I'm over here. I'm support. A support person, whatever I can do. And on a medical call, I actually get in there and do patient care. I love that so much. Where do you think your start and your, your passion for service started for you? Um, I think really a heart of service is something you're born with, a heart for service. Um, I think it can be nurtured or it can be squashed, but I think you're born with it, just like you're born with a calling. And you have to figure out what that calling is and then live up to it somehow. And I've got a whole lot of stories on that. But um, uh, when did it start? Let's see. Uh, well, I, I'm the oldest in my family, the oldest of three children, and I was the caretaker in the family. If you look at the dynamics of, of families that have issues, I fit a lot of those profiles. So I was the caretaker growing up. And I think that's where it started. And then um, I was witness, I can say my beginning in emergency medical services, I know exactly where that came from. I was uh, the summer between my senior year and college, we heard we heard a car hit something. My friends and I were outside about 11 o'clock on a Saturday night. And uh, then we heard brakes. And it sounded like it was just down the street. So we went down the street, couldn't find it. Went further out to the highway. And a 14-year-old girl had been struck by a car. And she died in my arms. And I didn't like feeling helpless. A few weeks later, when I started college, uh, all the different clubs were outside in the quad area you know, trying to recruit, and I'd go to the different clubs and sororities, and what are you all about? What are you all about? And the sororities, oh yeah, we have lots of parties, and you get discounts at the convention, and, and we have lots of different social activities, and then there was the first aid squad. I went to one of the few colleges in the state 
that had a student-run first aid squad. So I joined the first aid squad and I got my training. And uh, so while I was going to college to become a teacher of the deaf, I was also getting very much involved in emergency medical services. And that's how my husband and I met. So that one little incident and me feeling helpless inspired a whole huge part of my life, not just my career and my hobbies, but my whole life, because that's where I met my husband. And, and um, life would be a very different looking animal if uh, I hadn't responded to that that day. And you know, the thing is they always talk about the ripple effect from different things like death and how there's so many things occur from incidents that we'll never know about. Mm -hmm. And you know, this 14 year old girl lost her life, but you know, you have positively impacted and supported so many through your service because of that experience and, and meeting your husband was part of that for you. Mm -hmm. Yes, probably so. Um, I joined first aid squads. I joined two more squads. You know, I wound up on three different first aid squads while I was in college. And then I found out I could get paid for it. So I worked on ambulances while I was in college as well. And it's funny how you talk about that ripple effect because as I said, I was going to school for the deaf ed. In 1984, when I graduated, there were no jobs in deaf ed. And I did not want to be a speech teacher and sit and do There's nothing wrong with that. It just wasn't my cup of tea at the point in time. Right. And so I went to graduate school for deaf ed said, okay, I can't get a job, I'll get more education. And um, this is, it's just a wacky story. Um, I went to graduate school, I got a job as a speech teacher. That's not what I wanted to do. Then I, um, I had to renew my emergency medical technician certification and Bob and I were engaged. And we decided that instead of taking a refresher course, we wanted to be instructors, so let's take a full course again. So we took a full course in the semester leading up to our wedding, and uh, we went on to become EMT instructors. <clears throat> and uh, so there's that ripple effect again. I've trained hundreds of people as EMTs and paramedics over the years. And so is my husband. As a matter of fact, where he is tonight is teaching an EMT class and I am taking an EMT class again this fall so I can get further training again. That's amazing. It, it is, it, it's just incredible. And then after that year graduate school, <clears throat> I decided to go to paramedic. So I kept both careers going for many, many years. So what kind of challenges would you say that you've had? Um, you know, in, in serving. In, in serving. Yeah, and in keeping service in your life. Well, I had, a, uh, had to let it go for a while. That's the whole reason I'm going back in EMT now because I have rheumatoid arthritis. I've had it since I was a kid and I went into remission for a number of years and uh, about 12 years ago it came back with a vengeance. And I had to make a decision, um, okay, I, this is too much for me to keep everything up. And uh, I was having great difficulty walking so I decided I had to let my EMT and paramedic go for a while. 
So I've been retired from emergency medical services. I was retired about 10 years and now I'm starting all over again at you've 54 been running, years old. You've been running all over this house since we got here, so you look like you're feeling better. I'm doing well. Um, if you have something to do, it motivates you to keep going. I'm very blessed. I, I had doctors predict when I was a kid that I'd be in a wheelchair by the time I was 21. And my doctor flipped out when he heard I joined a first aid squad because he says, you can't do that. You're gonna have lots of problems. And I think diving into that life of service is what kept me going and kept me motivated to keep going and keep putting one foot in front of the other. Getting up every morning knowing I have a purpose. And so I was a teacher during the day, paramedic nights and weekends for many, many years. And then I flip-flopped when we moved to Florida and I was a, I ran the paramedic program in Florida for three years. Do you think having your own medical issues ha is something that has given you the knowledge of what it, what it, like what people need when they're not feeling well? You know, like Absolutely. if you're in an, if you're in an accident or if you have an illness, like, you know, sometimes you just can't do for yourself and it's very hard to verbalize that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that sensitivity? Absolutely. I think that empathy, it gives me a, the, listen, I know you've broken your leg or, or you've hurt your arm or you're feeling like this is going to really devastate your life. It's going to set you back a bit. And I've said this to people at times or something similar. It's going to set you back a bit, but, but you're still breathing. You still have a mission. You still have something to accomplish. So because that's how you feel about yourself. Right. Right. Is, and um, I have a philosophy of I give myself 24 hours to grieve something. Um, <laughs> uh, I was diagnosed with lupus uh, about 10 years ago, and that devastated me because when you start looking at the statistics for lupus, some books say you have a 50% chance of surviving 10 years. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is the end. And I allowed myself to grieve for 24 hours, and I said, okay, now I'm going to learn everything I can about it, and I'm going to get up, put one foot in front of the other, and keep going. And as long as I can walk and I can breathe, I'm going to just keep doing what I can do. And sometimes I have to go sit out for 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes I overdo it a bit and have to take a day off. But I know as long as I wake up in the morning and I have a breath and I can put my feet on the floor, I'm not done yet. And I'm not sure how much I'll be able to do, but I'll be able to do something. And sometimes, when I was teaching vacation Bible school a couple of weeks ago, I challenged the students to go to Walmart or a supermarket and look at people's faces. I said, here's an act of service you can do without ever talking to anybody or touching anybody. Smile. If you look, a lot of people don't smile when they're out in public, but a smile is contagious and you may just brighten a person's day. So even just trying to help children understand that a life of service begins with just a smile that can have that ripple effect. And I, I, I'll never know where it ends. And, and it's not about me anyway. It's all about what's much bigger than me. I love that. What do you think service and, and being passionate about serving others has taught you about yourself? Oh, gee. That, um that I need to keep my pride in check. I would say that's something I struggle with because 
pride is a two-edged sword. You can be very prideful and it's all about me or look how well I did this or hey you did a great job with this and I'm like wait a minute that's not why I did it though. Right. Let me step back. Ego. In the other way you can also become prideful in being too um, humble. Some people put on an act of humility and it, it'll actually draw them more attention. So that's something I know in my personality, I need to keep in balance. And that's a, that's a big struggle for me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I have come to be known as the 50 states in 90 days lady, a concept that is unfathomable to most. If you would like me to come speak at your event about how to envision, explore, and execute a plan, or how to create a life that is more exciting or more meaningful, you can find me at MotivateMePodcast.com. And the world keeps turning and I just keep moving.